Here in John chapter 17, beginning in verse 20, let us now give our attention to the reading and hearing of God's holy word. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word, that they may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they be also, that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath known thee, hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known thee, that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. And this is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, as we come to the end of this high priestly prayer, the Lord Jesus Christ, you will remember that there in the Gospel of John, in that upper room, as they have celebrated together the Passover meal, as Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper prior to this, he now comes and prays to the Father for these three petitions that we have looked at. Jesus prayed, as we saw in the first section there, verses 1 through 5, Jesus prayed for himself as the author of our salvation. And then secondly, as we looked at last week, Jesus prayed for the apostles. Jesus prayed for those who would bring the gospel to the nations of the earth. He prayed for them as agents or ambassadors of his salvation. And then thirdly, we see Jesus here praying for believers who are the partakers of his salvation. And so as we think this morning on this passage, it's a wonderful passage. There is so much depth to this passage that we cannot fully uncover. And yet... As we look at this passage, we see Christ as our great high priest, preparing for that suffering that is to come, preparing for his resurrection and his ascension in glory. And here we find Jesus, as he prays for the church, we find here in the first point of our outline this morning, for those for whom he prays. You notice there in verse 20, 
Neither pray I for these alone, speaking of the apostles, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Six times in chapter 17, Christ calls his people by name. They whom thou hast given me, those who know thee. Jesus here is speaking particularly of the elect. He even says he prays not for the world, but for those whom the Father gave him. And so Jesus is praying particularly for his elect. The Lord Jesus Christ calls to the Father and prays for them who are his own. There, as we saw in verse 10, the scripture says, All mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. The Father, before the creation of the world, chose a people out of the world. God chose out of the mass of fallen humanity in Adam a people. And there, the Father gave them into the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ, charging him not to lose one of them. And so here we find Jesus praying particularly for those whom the Father given unto him. As he prays that prayer here in this final petition, he is praying to the Father that those whom he had given him, he would lose none of them. All that the Father, Jesus says, giveth me, shall come to me. And him who comes to me, I shall in no wise cast out. One of the great marks, Robert Murray McShane brings this out in his sermon on John 17. One of the marks of all that were given to Christ is that they would come to the Lord Jesus. If a man lives his whole life rejecting Christ and never comes to him, he is not one of God's elect. Because if he is one of God's elect, he would be brought to him. And so this notion that they were elected and justified before creation, particularly this doctrine of justification before um, in time and eternity, uh, makes no sense because Jesus calls them out and so they are not justified until Jesus calls them out. But here Jesus, as the mediator of the new covenant, who, has sprink- who will sprinkle his blood upon his people, they will come to Christ. Their hearts will be open to receive him. And the question is this morning, have you received Christ? Has your heart been opened unto him? I remember the words, and perhaps I've said this before, I still remember that old voice on the radio, that old preacher from many, many years ago, who said, don't give your heart to Jesus. He doesn't want that old dead stony heart. He wants to give you a new heart. And so he was saying there that the Lord Jesus Christ 
wants to change our hearts. And the only way that we can come unto Christ is for our hearts to be changed. And so if you're sitting here this morning and your heart is not changed, if you're indifferent to the gospel, if you have no thought of the gospel, perhaps you have all kinds of excuses for not coming to Christ. Oh, don't delay because you are under God's judgment. Your heart must be open to receive Christ. Has Christ been made precious unto you? Then you can be sure that he will indeed have mercy upon you. Your name will be written in his book of life. It is for you, O elect child of God, that Jesus prays, I will that soul be with me. Christ will never lose any of those who come to him in faith. The Father which gave the elect unto the Son is greater than all. None is able to pluck them out of the Father's hand. This is so important for us to understand that if we are in Christ, Jesus draws us unto himself. That if we are in Christ, Jesus will have mercy upon us. Jesus did not die for all the world. Jesus died for all whom the Father gave him to save. And so here in this final section of the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ, he prays, not just for his disciples that were with him, but praise for all who shall believe on me through their word. And here we get a glimpse of what we'll begin to look at next week as we start our study of the, the Acts of the Apostles. That as those apostles have been who will later be commissioned in John's account of the gospel, but as they are commissioned and sent forth after the ascension of Christ, they will go to the ends of the earth and proclaim the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus prays for all who would believe on him through their word. Not just the apostles, but all those who come after them who are agents of his salvation. The work of the apostles was an extraordinary work, as you will see in the book of Acts. It is through the work of the Holy Spirit that these apostles are sent forth in extraordinary ways. But that apostolic ministry still continues as God through ordinary Agents, pastors, teachers, bring forth that word of truth. And so Jesus prays that all those who believe on him through their word, through the preaching of the gospel, he will certainly pray for. Now remember that Jesus' prayer will be answered. In fact, his prayer had already been answered. 
in the mind of God, in the decree of God. But Jesus prays for that which will come to pass. And for those who believe on Christ through the preaching of the word, they too will become his children and he will pray for them. Oh, we've already seen that Jesus prays that we might be protected. He prays that we might be preserved. He prays that we might be sanctified. But as you remember from last week in verse 17, Jesus prays, sanctified them, that is those whom the Father has given me, sanctified them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. No man can get into heaven except through that high priestly work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven is closed to those who do not receive that word of truth. Heaven's gates are not open to those who think that they can live their lives and suddenly at the end say some magic prayer or formula and they're in the kingdom. No, Jesus prays that those whom the Father gave him would be sanctified through that word of truth. And it's clear here in the text that John prays that it is that word that is preached not only by the apostles, but through that apostolic ministry that will continue until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That that word that is preached will indeed save souls. That word is preached by weak and broken vessels. And yet it is through weak and broken vessels that God brings forth the glorious treasures of his word. And so believer, if Christ has drawn you unto him, if you have trusted in him for your salvation, you can be assured that he continues to pray for you. That he prays for all who shall believe on me through their word. There is no other name given among men by which they must be saved, and that is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so salvation comes through the priestly work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he is the one who calls the elect whom the Father has chosen, and it is through the word preached that they are saved. Secondly, we come to the first petition for which Jesus prays. The first petition that Jesus prays here is for the unity of all who would believe on him through, their wor- through his word. Here he prays that they may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. Notice the specific way in which Jesus prays. I think there's, a, there's a, an example here for us. We, we cannot pray this high priestly prayer. That's why we have that example of that prayer that he gave his disciples. But here's a lesson to remind us 
that Jesus, when he prayed, prayed in accordance with the will of God, not his own will, and he prayed that those whom were in him and in the Father may be one. Notice the first clause of verse 21, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. Here he speaks of the unity for which he prays. We speak of unity today, and there have been many attempts to to bring unity within the church through all kinds of means. Many years ago, the, the whole argument of Roman Catholics and Protestants together just shook the foundation of the Reformed faith, and it should. Because the only way that there can be unity within the church is that those whom Christ calls would be in him and in the Father. I pray that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. This is just a side note. But I think it's important to note here the distinction between the Father and the Son. Don't let the oneness Pentecostals confuse you. Don't let the Jehovah's Witnesses confuse you or any other false religion. The Father and the Son are one. The two distinct persons of the Trinity are one. Jesus had oneness with the Father. And yet they were distinct. And here he prays that the unity of the church may be as the unity between the Father and the Son. That's the first thing for which Jesus has in mind when he prays for the unity of the church. That their unity may be in me and I in thee. Secondly, as part of that unity, he prays that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. No man can come to the Father except through the Lord Jesus Christ. Men cannot come to God alone. Men cannot come to some nebulous unknown God Men can only come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in that prayer of unity, he prays that, the, that they may be one in us. And so that's the unity of which the Lord Jesus Christ prays. That for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, they might be one. What does he mean by this? He does not mean that we should be taken out of the world, but he prays that we should remain in the world so that we can be unified together. Oftentimes there can be a lot of disorder perhaps within churches. Paul the Apostle wrote to that church in Corinth to to put in order the things that were in disorder. 
to bring peace and harmony to a fractured church. But Jesus prays for something that is already realized. And so our unity as the church is one in the Father and in the Son. And this is an important thing. We don't go out to seek for unity with those who have no union with the Father and with the Son. But we seek that unity because Christ has prayed for it. And as we think of that petition, and this was really on my heart this morning, and, and I, I think it's something we, we need to, to find here in this, this passage, that the unity that Christ prays for is realized, and we as his people should seek the unity of the church. That is our call, we pray, for the unity and the peace of the church. But we pray for it because Christ prayed for it and we are called to pray and to seek unity. I draw your attention to Ephesians. Uh, Several years ago, we went through a study of the book of Ephesians, that wonderful letter of the Apostle Paul. But there in that wonderful passage, he talks about the the blessings that we have in Christ. He reminds us that we are those who who have obtained an inheritance in Christ, that we are his inheritance until the redemption of that purchased possession. And there in chapter 4, Paul says this, I therefore, in light of the fact that you are dead to sin, that you are alive in Christ, that you're no longer that old man, but you are that new man created in righteousness and holiness, I beseech thee, I urge thee that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. How does he say to walk? With all lowliness with all meekness and humility, with long-suffering. Okay, hold on. Forbearing one another in love. If one has difficulty forbearing with others in love, then they need to take inventory. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul says here in verse 4, there's one body, there's one spirit, even as we are called in one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There are not many baptisms, there's one baptism. There are not many faiths, but one faith. There is one Lord. And that is what Paul tells the church that they should strive for. But how does that unity for which he calls us to endeavor come about through meekness, through patience, forbearing with one another in love. And even as we come to the table of the Lord this morning, we need to ask ourselves, are we striving for unity within our congregation? Are we striving to bear with one another, to be patient with one another? Now, we have not reached sinless perfection. But we will. But until that day, 
We are called to strive for that because Jesus prayed for it. What Jesus prayed for will be fulfilled. And so that is the first petition. The second petition is there in verses 22 through 24. And he prays that they might share in his glory. Now this is a a difficult petition as we, we understand what he intends here by this petition that he prays that we might share in his glory. Jesus says the glory which the Father gave him, I have given to them. That is the church. When you go back to that first petition, Jesus prays for himself. Verse 4, I have glorified thee on earth by finishing the work that thou gavest me to do. So Jesus glorifies the Father. The Son glorifies the Father. And now Jesus prays, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with that glory which I had with thee before the world was manifested. So the Father glorifies the Son, the Son glorifies the Father, and the Holy Spirit glorifies the Son. And so the prayer that he prays is that they would be one as he is one. How is that possible? Well, if you think about it, it is a great comfort and consolation to the believer that God's glory and our happiness are to be joined together in one. Our larger catechism, question one, and our shorter catechism, question one, Both state the same thing. What is man's chief end? What is man's highest end? What is it? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. We are called to glorify God. And so Jesus prays that we would be glorified in Him. We are created to have fellowship with God. The first Adam enjoyed perfect fellowship. Sin entered the world through his disobedience and destroyed that union between God and man. When Adam sinned in the garden, there was something that immediately changed. He began to feel shame and guilt that he didn't know before. But in that second Adam, he came to reconcile sinners unto God. The Father reconciled the two natures, the divine nature and the human nature of Christ, so that he might reconcile sinners unto God. Man cannot be reconciled unto a holy God except through the Lord Jesus Christ. Full divinity, full humanity in one person. And so as Jesus prays for the eternal glory, 
Christ as our high priest prays that we may behold his glory. There in verse 24, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me, that where I am they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. We see glimpses of the followers of Christ gazing upon the glory of God. As Jesus took his three disciples up on the Mount of Transfiguration, as they saw that heavenly vision, as they were changed, they saw the glory of Christ. When God created the world, Psalm 8 says that he has set his glory where? In the heavens. But not only do we see a glimpse of his glory in creation, but we see a glimpse of his glory in the perfect work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the great high priest entered into the holy place, not with hands, but he entered heaven, the place of God's presence, and he filled it with the cloud of incense offered by the priests of the Old Testament. Christ, in his session after his ascension, offered himself to the Father as the perfect sacrifice for sin and desired to make intercession for us by his prayers. He prays that we may be held, behold his glory. He prayed in verses 4 and 5 for his glory now. But he prays that all of his elect would benefit from beholding the glory of God. There in the Old Testament, Moses caught caught a glimpse of God's glory, didn't he? He He saw a glimpse of God's glory. His face had to be covered with a veil. The prophets of the Old Testament saw, in a sense, the glory of God. And yet, through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see His glory. It is not fully shown to us, but John tells us in chapter 1, for we what? Beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. Christ, when He came in His incarnation, showed us His glory. A baby showing forth the glory of God. And yet, Paul reminds us that we have seen the glory of God in the fullness of Christ bodily. There were many openings of that veil throughout the Old Testament when the glory of God shone forth. But here we see the glory of Christ that his disciples would see, prayed for. When Jesus turned water into wine, he manifested his glory. When Jesus wept over Jerusalem, he manifested his glory. Where else would he manifest his glory but on the cross? 
wounds of Christ showed forth his glory. How could a suffering servant show forth the glory of God? Isaiah the prophet shows that in the suffering servant, God manifests his glory. Robert Murray McShane says that the divine glory shone more out of his wounds than out of all of his life before. The veil was rent in two and the full heart of God allowed to stream through it. It was a human body racked with pain and suffering. It was a human body accursed upon the tree. Human hands pierced him. Human hands put him to death. But oh, we see the glorious picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see in his divine holiness showing forth his glory. His divine wisdom. As Jesus was greater than all of his teachers. In his divine love. As he washed the feet of his disciples. As Jesus sat with them in that upper room before he was to die. To die he manifests his glory unto them. But O oh, saints of God, there's a far greater glory for which Jesus has already been prayed that it would be manifested. And that is that one day we shall look upon him who was pierced from us. Jesus never laid aside his glory when he came to earth. He is still the Lamb of God even at the right hand of the Father, slain from the foundation of the world. That resurrected, exalted Christ at the last day when we stand before Him will still have the prince of the nail scars in His hands and in His feet. Christ in His glory shows that He wants to share that glory with us. Jesus has in mind in that prayer that we will behold His glory in eternity. We will look upon His face. We will hear from His lips. We will enjoy communion and fellowship with Him for eternity. If eternity for you is to be spent in heaven, then what are you doing in preparation if you are engaged to be Christ at the end of this age, if you are engaged to sit at His table in heaven, then what should you be doing now? Preparing for that glorious day, you should be engaged sitting at this table, which is a foretaste and a picture of that glorious heaven that is to come. But in the conclusion of that prayer, as Jesus has prayed for unity for the church, he prays that his children might be glorified with him. He finally prays there in verses 25 and 26, O righteous Father. Jesus addresses the Father, the first person of the Trinity. And he says this, The world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. And these have known thee, 
that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love that I had with thee may be in them, and I in thee. As we think upon that conclusion to the prayer that Jesus prays, calling the Father righteous and holy, praying that those whom he gave him would indeed know him. I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, who came to declare the Father unto us. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who will continue to declare the name of the Father throughout all eternity. Jesus has declared unto them that the Father gave to him would indeed declare his name. And here is, here is the end of that, that the love that thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. Here's a question that really drives home, I think, the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a great segue into the observance of the Lord's Supper. If the Father and the Son shared perfect love together, and Jesus' prayer is that the love that they had may be in all of his disciples then how should that love be manifested among us? Not in hypocrisy. Not in unsincerity. But it should be manifested. Not perfectly, because we are still fallen creatures. But we are called to love one another. Isn't that the essence of Jesus there in the upper room washing the feet of his disciples? And in that act of humiliation, he calls them what? To love one another as I have loved you. John chapter 14, verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. There Jesus shows us that if we keep God's commandments, then we show that we are his disciples, that we love him. And the Lord Jesus Christ will manifest ourselves to him. Jesus doesn't pray, well, I, I hope that you all will love one another. Jesus doesn't pray, I hope that there's some kind of harmony among those whom the Father has given me. He says that love which I have with the Father will be manifested in those whom I have received from the Father. As we think of this passage, and there, there's a lot in here, it's, it's a, it boggles the mind to think of all of the particulars of what Jesus prayed for. And yet we need to ask ourselves, 
if Jesus prays for that, what is the state of my soul? What is the state of your soul this morning? Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have that love for him? Do you desire to keep his commandments? Oh, not perfectly, mind you. Even on our best days, none of us keeps his commandments perfectly. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, who covers us in his righteousness, we are seen as holy, perfect, and righteous in him. But if Jesus declares the name of the Father, then we are called to declare that name as well. We are called to declare the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to show to the world that we are united not because we agree on how to raise children, not because we agree on how to uh, uh, draw every jot and tittle of the law, not because we agree on every point of theology, but our unity is in Christ Jesus who loved us and died for us. And we are called to show that love so that the world may know we belong to him. Oh, saints of God, I would call you to think upon this Christ this morning. To think upon this one who prayed for himself, who prayed for his apostles and those who would proclaim his gospel, as he prays for the church of every age who would be partakers of his salvation. This is our great high priest. This is the one to whom we come and pour out our hearts unto him. In all of our sin, all of our shortcomings, he never casts us away, but he receives all who come to him by faith. Let us think upon this Christ this morning who is our great high priest, as he has prayed and continues to pray for us. And if our elder brother is praying for us continually, then we know we have that certainty that we will never be cast away. Let us pray. O Lord Jesus Christ, we come before thee this morning with grateful and thankful hearts for all of thy mercies. We thank thee for that high priestly prayer that thou continues to pray for us. And we would pray that we might continue to show forth thy glory, that as we behold thy glory, that we might indeed show forth that glory in how we live our lives. Lord, we confess that we often do not love one another. We do confess that we often times are haughty and proud and arrogant. And we plead, O Lord, that thou wouldst have mercy upon us this morning. That thou wouldst forgive us and grant us thy grace. For thou indeed continues to pray that we would be one and that we might share in thy glory. We ask this in thy holy and gracious name. Amen.